Our gospel reading for this second Sunday after Pentecost is a fair number of verses from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 through chapter 10, verse 8. But I encourage you, again, as part of your spiritual discipline, read both chapter 9 and 10. It's really good to put these verses in context because we've been talking about Trinity Sunday and um, Jesus ascending to heaven, and now we're back with Jesus being with us and the disciples, and it can get confusing sometimes. But part of this is about putting this in context because we are now in what is called ordinary time in the lectionary year, right? And you might not know this in the lectionary, that we have special times of the year and we have ordinary times of the year. About six months are special times of the year, Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter, etc. And the other six months are called ordinary time. But I'm here to tell you that that's merely a designation that we use in an administrative capacity because we are in no ordinary time. And Jesus was in no ordinary time. So I invite you to hear these words and see how they might speak to you anew today in the year 2020. And the story goes this way. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then it goes on in chapter 10, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who later betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, Cast out demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. Here ends the reading. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So thank you for being with us today. Give us some love online. Give the, uh, the band um, some love online. And a huge thank you to these musicians who give of their time, their energy, and their talents to make sure that this worship experience is exceptional. Today's message, as I mentioned, is called Calling All Salty and Well-Lit Christians. Let us pray. Take my lips, O Lord, and speak through them. Take our minds and think with them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
So good morning. Now this is a pre-pandemic story, so go with me on this one. There was a young man called Sam, and he was driving home when he saw kids on a corner selling Kool-Aid in his neighborhood. How many of you have had that experience? Raise your hand in the sanctuary or let us know online if you've seen a kids in a Kool-Aid stand and your own kids have set one up at the end of the driveway. But the kids had posted the typical hand-scrawled sign over the stand, and prices have gone up actually since my childhood. It said Kool-Aid, $1.25. So Sam was intrigued. He pulled his car over to the curb, and the little boy approached and asked Sam if he would like strawberry or grape Kool-Aid. Sam placed his order and handed the boy two dollar bills. After much deliberation at the Kool-Aid stand, the children determined that Sam had some change coming, and they rifled through their little tin box until they finally came up with the correct amount. So the boy returned with the change and a large coffee cup filled with Kool-Aid. And then the boy stood by the side of Sam's car and didn't leave. The boy also kept asking Sam, if he was finished drinking. And he kept asking him that. And Sam finally said, uh, well, I'm almost done. Why do you keep asking me that? And the little boy said, that's the only cup we have, and we need it to stay in business. Okay? What a metaphor for church, right? Just as it is difficult to operate a Kool-Aid business if you have only one cup, It is difficult to be the church in the world if we rely on just one person, just one pastor, or just one building, or just one congregation. And that's why today's sermon is called Calling All Salty and Well-Lit Christians. Just like the commissioning of the disciples in today's ancient text and in the parallel gospel text in the Gospel of Mark, we need lots of Christians today who get it who continue to work to understand what it means to follow Jesus into the mission field of our broken country. And I'll talk more about our current state of affairs in a moment. But first, I want to take a look at today's text. I'm going to ask you to turn either in your Bibles or your pew Bibles, or I know a lot of you are using your tablets and looking up the Bible on your phone today, but it's Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. So take a minute, look it up. Someone type it online if you're watching us online. And from the New Revised Standard Version, this is what the verse says. It says, when he, meaning Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus' decision in this gospel text today to bestow his curative and restorative healing powers upon the disciples is rooted in his compassion for the people, the people of the world. In fact, this is the reason, that compassion is the reason he sends us out to make new disciples. We talked about that last week, the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, but the Great Commission. So what can we learn from just this one phrase of the Bible? What we can learn is that empathy is essential to Christian life. Without it, 
the rest of it may not make sense to you. Empathy is essential to Christian life. And second, I want to dig into the text for a moment longer, just this one verse. Can you think of a better description of many people today than being called harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? I think about when the pandemic hit and how many of us were uncertain and unsure and not quite, you know, didn't quite know what to do. But it is a striking simile. And if you don't know what a simile is, I invite you to turn to our resident English expert in the church, John DeSando. So hi, John. I hope you're watching today. Prayers and props to John, who's at home. We are uh, glad he is here. But the Bible is full of these kind of examples and comparisons. But many people, when we return to the concept of empathy, many people do remain unaware of what's happening and how it impacts them and others, whether it be the pandemic or what's happening in our world in terms of justice. And in a famous sermon on today's passage, Paul Tillich, the well-known theologian, told graduating seminarians that the first task of the minister is to make the people aware of their predicament. That's task number one. Before you can ask people to go and to follow and to do things, they have to be aware of their predicament in life. So I thought this week it was important to again turn to our current state of affairs. And I had to think about where are we this week because the news cycle responds so rapidly. Can I get an amen? It responds so rapidly that we can really lose sight of the big picture. We can lose sight of the big picture very easily amidst the barrage of tweets and insta posts that try to reduce humanity to 144 characters or to one carefully edited photo before moving on to the next vapid trend in our society. Those kind of things can really distract us from what's most important in life. Plus, this week, if we look at what, what, tell me what's been going on online and in the sanctuary. What has been happening the last two weeks in our country, all across the country? Just shout it out. Tell us online. Uprisings. All right. What else? Protests. Shootings. Fires. I put up one, just, this is just one slide, all across our country. I just saw a news report last night. I finally had to stop reading the news that in Germany, they've had the largest civil protest in their history for Black Lives Matters. This is happening all across the world. I'm really impressed, too, by the news stories that I'm seeing from little kids, especially in Ohio, in rural towns all across Ohio, that are, like, writing a sign and standing out street corners and Chillicothe, and Mount Vernon, and and town after town after town, and the adults are getting their courage from the kids. And we're seeing it all. It's not just the big cities. It's all across our country. But we are having some issues in Washington. Can I get an amen? And this week has only confirmed further that Trump, and I'm not going to give him the title, I just don't know that I can right now. But Trump is trying to bully, harass, and distract us from two core realities in our current society. Do you know what they are? Number one, I'll tell you. 
everyone's like, I didn't know there was going to be a pop quiz, right? But there are two core realities in our society right now. And, and this is what happens with bullies who lack empathy. They try to bully, they try to harass, they try and distract, and we have to stay focused. We cannot lose sight of the big picture. We have two big things going on in our society right now. Number one, this pandemic is not going away. We're in it for the long haul. Things are not going back to normal anytime soon. Everything has changed. Now, that doesn't mean we can't live into that. We can't figure out how to wear our masks and maintain distance and find some way to preserve our mental and physical and social and emotional health in this time. But the pandemic isn't going away. And just because we don't talk about it or it's being squeezed out of the news cycle doesn't mean it isn't still happening and it's not still real. The second thing that is a core reality in our society right now is that systemic racism has rotted our nation to its very core. Many of us already knew that, but now the country knows it. Unless you are an ostrich and you've buried your head in the sand or Fox News, systematic racism has rotted our nation to its very core. And liberty and justice for all remains a myth. It has been liberty and justice for some. So, now, lest we think this is only a D.C. problem, it's not. I wanted, I don't usually do this in a sermon, but I just had to today. Because yesterday, the Columbus Dispatch, which you might not know, is typically a very conservative, GOP-endorsing publication. I love the Dispatch. I've been reading it for decades. But typically, it's a fairly conservative. Its editors are fairly conservative. And they published this editorial yesterday. I'm just going to read you the title was this. It's from the editorial board. And the title was Ohio GOP Lawmakers Lacking in Empathy and Leadership. Let me read you a few choice words from that editorial. The editors wrote, in a steady stream of cluelessness, I mean, this would have made a good sermon, right? In a steady stream of cluelessness, Ohio's Republican legislators continue to clearly demonstrate why their entire caucus is in need of serious diversity and sensitivity training. The latest embarrassment comes courtesy of Senator Steve Huffman of Tip City. Who knows who's heard about this? Senator Steve Huffman, most of you, let us know online if you've heard about this. It's why we have to talk about it. Senator Steve Huffman of Tip City, who suggested by way of asking a question that, and I'm not even going to use the word because it's an old derogatory word for people of color, and I will not say it, but he suggested that blank population do not wash their hands as well as other groups. Now, this is an elected official in a public hearing. So you, you can't even imagine what he says in private, right? If he says this in public in a hearing. The editorial goes on, wrong on so many levels. It is especially egregious that Huffman's comment came in a hearing on whether the state should follow the lead of county and city officials and declare racism a public health crisis, which Columbus has done. And it says local officials have recognized to their credit that discrimination against people of color in such social determinants as housing, income, education, and access to medical care culminates in poor health outcomes. And the writers say Huffman has no excuse for being so naive. 
Professionally, he is an emergency room physician. Absent a strong moral compass, his medical training should have taught him that people in poverty struggle to achieve good health that others take for granted, making them more susceptible to illness and death from COVID-19. Sadly, wrote the editors of the dispatch, Huffman has lots of clueless company among GOP colleagues. The dispatch agrees, they wrote, with Representative Stephanie Howes, a Cleveland Democrat, that Huffman's comments are consistent with systemic racism and must not be tolerated. For those of you who've been in Columbus for a while, that is an extraordinary statement in our city, and I'm grateful for it. More of us salty and well-lit Christians and people of faith and people of moral conscience and ethic need to be speaking out. So let me return to the national scene for a minute because calling all salty and well-lit Christians and sending out disciples into the world means that we have to be aware of our predicament. So that's partly what's going on in our state. But I want to return to the national scene for a moment because I only have a limited time. And I know some of you are getting overwhelmed with the news and you just have to turn it off. And I want to make sure that you have some of the highlights as you're making your faithful choices in life. Do you all know what I mean when I talk about the Lafayette Square incident? Raise your hand in the sanctuary or let us know online if you know what I mean when I say the Lafayette Square incident in D.C. We talked about it last week and the week before. Washington Post has some great articles about it. But I will put it in my terms, which is that Trump try to co-opt Christianity for his own re-election purposes with a show of military might, which shows that he really doesn't know Jesus very well, right? That's not what Jesus would do. Jesus didn't come in and bring military might in order to have his way. The Post wrote that so indelible were, that, were the pictures that night outside the White House and Lafayette Square, that Lafayette Square has come to represent Trump's inability to meet the moment. And the name Lafayette Square itself became a shorthand for so much of what many see as wrong in America. A Republican strategist put it this way, and I really like this. He said, history picks these moments. It, picks, it picked the march on Selma. History picked Bull Connor sending dogs against children. History picked the burning child from Vietnam. And history has picked this moment for change. Malcolm Gladwell would call this a tipping point. We have reached a tipping point in our society for change as an entire society, a culture, and a generation changes rapidly before our eyes and for the better, I might add. The protests continue day after day, all across our country. May we continue to support and encourage those who are participating and also encourage them to stay safe and wear their masks and, and all of that. But for our purposes today, for purposes of this sermon, I'm going to ask you online and in the sanctuary, do you notice anything about this photo? The photo op that Trump unlawfully dispersed U.S. citizens and church clergy to obtain do you notice anything about that photo? Shout it out or tell me online. 
You notice anything about that church? There's another metaphor for you. Trump is standing in front of an empty, boarded-up church. Why? Because the Christians have left the building. And he doesn't get it. The Christians have left the building. The church is not a building or a generic Bible or a photo op. The church is a bunch of salty and well-lit Christians who are out in the world making a difference. Because, again, I think that's going to be emblematic of our understanding of church. So that's our current predicament. That's our, what's happening in our society, and it's just a small slice. But what do I mean by being salty and well-lit disciples of Jesus Christ, like the disciples then and like today? Well, for that definition, I'm going to add a reading to your assignments for today. And that's chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, our Bible scholars will remember what chapter 5 is. Is there anyone online who can pull that up on their phone or flip to it in their Bible and tell me what that is? I'll give you a minute. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes, when Jesus calls us to be salt and light in the world. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' basic social teaching. It is, is, it is his political stump speech as he began his gospel ministry campaign to save humankind. And I can't cover the whole sermon today, so I invite you to read chapter 5 as part of your spiritual discipline this week, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 in the Gospel of Matthew. But what I find so interesting in the context of today's passage is that Jesus didn't say in the Sermon on the Mount to the disciples and all the people that were listening to him and looking for guidance, he didn't say, you will be the salt of the earth or you will be the light of the world. He said, you are the salt of the earth, now and here. You are the light of the world, now and here. Jesus was telling all of the marginalized, oppressed, forgotten people who had gathered on that hillside to hear him speak. He was telling them they are the salt of the earth. They are the light of the world right now. Made me think of all the people who have gathered in the streets to protest the last couple of weeks, that they are salt and light. They won't, it's not that they will be, they are. They are who we are supposed to be looking to. And we too, whether you're in the sanctuary, whether you're watching online, whether you watch this later, whether you hear a podcast, we too are the salt of the earth and the light of the world right now, says Jesus. Without being billionaires, without being religiously perfect, without being members of the dominant ruling social class, we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world right now without being young and strong, without being old and wise, without being politically powerful, or we're salt and light right now, even if we are not without doubt. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world right now, says Jesus. Without, without being anything other than 
who we are as children of God in this present moment. Can I get an amen for that affirmation that we are the salt and the light right now without doing anything else in our lives? We are God's present hope for the world through our faith in Jesus Christ and our work in this world. Our only question is how to be as salty and well-lit as we can be to live out our Christian faith in transformational and inspiring ways in the midst of a pandemic and in the midst of social uprising. So, the question today is, you know, we'll go back to the basics. Do you know what it means to be a salty and well-lit disciple of Jesus Christ? And it doesn't mean that you swear and drink a lot, though you could, and still be a disciple of Jesus Christ. No judgment right? There are tame and middle-of-the-theological-road ways to talk about being a salty and well-lit Christian. And in other times, we would talk about this in a way to infuse joy and hope and gladness into our world. But we are not in a tame, middle-of-the-theological-road moment in historical time. We are in a moment in time when pastors and theologians are rereading and debating the meaning of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's classic book on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount called The Cost of Discipleship. And again, I can only hit a few of these points today, but one of his great quotes is that salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. When you really follow Jesus, it will cost you your life. The book was first published in 1937, when the rise of the Nazi regime was underway in Germany. And I was reminded of this this week when my colleague and friend, Reverend Sigrid Rother, who is German and serves at another church, began writing about the parallels between what was happening in the, in the country today, our country, and what happened with the rise of Nazi Germany. Bonhoeffer was part of what was called the Confessing Church, a movement that stood against Nazi philosophy And it was against this background that his theology of costly discipleship developed. How many of you have heard of this? It's very famous and well-known. My husband's raising his hand because he's heard all my sermons. So he's heard this. Let let us know online if you've heard of this because I can only hit on um, really one point in this today, but it's one that I hope you will take home with you and think about. Because Bonhoeffer made a key and often quoted distinction between cheap and costly grace. And I'm just going to cover a couple of those points. That according to Bonhoeffer, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. But in contrast, costly grace confronts us with a call to follow Jesus everywhere. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a person to submit to the yoke of Christ and to follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dr. Bonhoeffer was a salty and well-lit Christian who lived, proclaimed, and fought for costly grace in our churches. And for that, he was ultimately arrested and imprisoned in 1943, and he was hanged by the Nazis in 1945. Let us not forget the price that others have paid 
Let us not forget that. Today, being salt and light Christians in the world in which we live today can also be costly and be transformative. Because we cannot let the haters win. Can I get an amen? We cannot let the haters win right now. The very moral center of our communities is at stake, and silence in the face face of oppression is not an option, right? Silence really is not an option. Silence really is complicity right now. So I know this is hard stuff sometimes, especially if you need some comfort and some care and all the things that are changing with the pandemic maybe have put you at, put you, um, at disease or uh, unease. So let me give you something to think about. And the question that, that kept coming to me was, what does it look like to be salty and well-lit right now as a Christian? What does that look like? What does it look like to be a salty and well-lit person right now? I would say that it can look like two weeks straight of protesters all across the world marching for racial justice day after day, including our church staff and team uh, members. So keep watching the church newsletter and the Facebook page for updates and announcements on when and where you can participate. Um, And I think we're getting a little feedback in the sanctuary, but salty and well-lit also means it can look like artists reclaiming the streets with prophetic murals and social justice artworks. How many of you have seen all the artwork downtown, taking time to drive downtown? I know we have some church members who've been posting their photos online. We shared some of those in the church newsletter on Friday. Um, Being salty and well-lit right now can look like artists reclaiming the streets for social justice. Being salty and well-lit can look like congregations across the country like ours, who are getting serious, if they weren't already, about offering anti-racism resources and trainings to all who are ready to make a change to help dismantle systemic racism and discrimination. Many in our church have already been engaged in this work, not just for years, but for decades. Others are new to the team. And something that I keep encouraging our people to remember is that when someone finally joins the journey for justice, It is really tempting to say, what took you so long? Right? What took you so long? But perhaps a better response is, welcome, we've been waiting for you. We've been waiting for you. How often do we have people new to the justice journey who just don't know where to start? And our job as the church sometimes is to say, We've been waiting for you. We will help you. We will give you resources and places to plug in, and we will help you change your life. One simple thing that we're doing right now is offering a Wednesday night class um, on America's original sin, racism, white privilege, and a bridge to a new America, Wednesdays um, at 6 o'clock. And it's a a Zoom class, so watch for information on our church Facebook page and in our e-newsletter about how you can sign up for for that. Um, You can also begin um, your own study. Uh, Places like Yale are offering free African-American history classes if you want to increase your knowledge. There are so many groups that you can plug into and and, uh, advocate for change and make a difference. I invite you to go to our um, national website at ucc.org which has a number of resources as well. 
you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, Between the World and Me, if you're looking for summer reading, I'm going to keep trying to lift up. If you're unaware of how you can help, there's, there are definitely a lot of resources out there right now if you're looking for ways to engage. Most importantly, listen. Listen to others who've been in this struggle for a long, long time and who've been working for justice. So what does it look like to be salty and well-lit right now? Add your own comments online and let me know what you think. I think it can look like people checking in on their neighbors as the pandemic progresses to make sure that everyone is still okay and has what they need. Not everyone can be out in the streets right now. Not everyone can go to the store right now because the pandemic is still here. And what does it look like to be salty and well-lit right now as a moral person working to make change? I think it can look like Dr. Amy Acton. Can I get an amen? You know what happened this week? Props to Dr. Amy, in case you missed the news. Dr. Acton was Ohio's director of public health. She had gone from being a more obscure figure in state leadership to a national icon for daring public health leadership during the initial months of the pandemic. Dr. Acton saved lives with her actions in this state. Let's give her some love online. She became a beloved role model for our kids, telling us to don our capes and our masks to fight COVID-19. You remember all that? We came to deeply respect her empathy for others. Remember, I first started this sermon talking about how the key to being a Christian is empathy, that Jesus did what he did because he was moved with compassion. We start with empathy. And she started with her empathy for others. And we came to deeply respect that as well as her folksy and easy to understand examples, arguing for multiple precautions to fight the virus. Do you remember like that Swiss cheese example where she said that wearing a mask is one thing, a distance is one thing, and washing your hands is one thing. And you stack that up and then you have more and more protection. But unfortunately, Dr. Acton also became a lightning rod for those who were upset with the quarantine restrictions. And then the haters glommed on. And Dr. Acton was targeted by armed protesters at her home, people protesting with um, semi-automatic rifles marching in her home. And she eventually had to have a security detail assigned, kind of a la Dr. Fauci. I mean, we were living in an era where public health officials have to have security details. Think about that. Well, on Thursday, Dr. Acton resigned, some say forced out, but she resigned her role as the Ohio Public Health Director, which means that she resigned her policymaking and enforcement authority. She is now an advisor to the governor, but she no longer has policymaking or enforcement authority. That's what happens when politics gets in the way of public health. And you might think this is a unique case of toxic politics playing out in the realm of public health in Ohio, but it's not. I encourage you to read the latest article in USA Today, and it and um, it talks about this exodus of public health officials all across our country, and um, and this is the 
the byline they had. They said, uh, it's an alarming exodus of public health officials fighting coronavirus because of growing threats against them, insufficient staffing and funding, and lack of political will and support from state and local elected officials. But when I talk about being salty and well-lit, Dr. Acton isn't one to go quietly. And she helped all of us become more salty and well-lit when it came to deepening our empathy for others and protecting and encouraging others, and most importantly, advocating for the least of these in our communities. Did you catch how often she talked about the most vulnerable in our society and our obligation to protect the least of these, whether or not we were okay? It was our obligation. But I find particular joy, maybe it's just because of where I am in life, but I find particular joy in Dr. Acton's initial public relations volley after the news broke of her resignation. Did you see what she did? Anybody know? Tell me online if you know what Dr. Acton did. She literally went to Sesame Street. She went to Sesame Street to the CNN Sesame Street Town Hall, a national town hall, and she headlined the CNN Sesame Street Town Hall as she shared her incredible expertise to help kids and grown-ups deal with the reality of this marathon of a pandemic and I expect that we will see her again on other public, public health crises. So, here's to you, Dr. Acton, right? A salty and well-lit woman of faith. May we all continue to be inspired by her empathy and courage in helping our community overcome this pandemic overcome systemic racism, overcome poverty, homelessness, educational challenges, and all of it together. She called us to work together to overcome our challenges. So thank you, Dr. Acton, for shining your light and sharing your hope with this world. May we continue to learn from these kind of examples and may we never, ever lose our courage when we are called to step up and be salty and well-lit. Thanks be to God. Amen.